Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 25, in which I interview Baruch Ben Kadosh. But first, a quick clarification from the previous episode. In 1996, Dr. Mack Latin professor at Flintridge Preparatory School, translated the adoration used in traditional Golden Dawn ceremony from English into Latin. Dr. Mack had previously co-translated the Militaria Gloriosa, which was later popularized by the movie A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. At the time, I was a student of his in high school. I was in practicus, and I had overheard someone mention wanting to translate it into Latin. This was Dr. Mack's translation. Sanctus es, Dominus de Mundi. Sanctus es, qui natura non thinksit. Sanctus es, vastus et potens. Rex lucius et tenebrarum. Sanctus S, because the two is implied and redundant. Dominus de Mundi, that part might be familiar. Sanctus S, qui natura non finxit, because finxit means formed, creatosis means created. Two different worlds of the Kabbalah. He translated mighty as potens, not valintus or valiant. Rex lucius et tenebrarum. I admit the choice of rex is a very well, patriarchal one. But he thought it was more appropriate in the context. Ruler, as he pointed out, you could use rector, but it doesn't have that same sense of regality to it, so he chose Rex. So thank you to the late Dr. Mack for this superior translation. A translation which I am quite certain at least a few esoteric nerds are writing down even as we speak. And now I'd like to return briefly to our segment. The real To such an extent of a general reformation, the most godly and highly illuminated father, our brother, Christian Rosengrutz, a German, the chief and original of our fraternity, hath much and long time labored, who by reason of his poverty, in the fifth year of his age, was placed in a cloister, where he had learned indifferently the Greek and Latin tongues, who, being yet in his growing years, was associated to a brother P.A.L., who had determined to go to the Holy Land. Although this brother died at Cyprus, and so never came to Jerusalem, yet our brother Christian Rosenkreutz did not return, but shipped himself over and went to Damascus, minding from thence to go to Jerusalem. But by reason of the feebleness of his body, he remained still there. And by his skill in physic, he obtained much favor with the Turks. In the meantime, he became by chance acquainted with the wise men of Damasco in Arabia, and beheld what wonders they wrought, and how nature was discovered unto them 
Hereby was that high and noble spirit of Brother Christian Rosenkreutz so stirred up that Jerusalem was not so much now in his mind as Damascus, and he could not bridle his desires any longer, but made a bargain with the Arabians, that they should carry him for a certain sum of money to Damascus. He was but of age of sixteen years when he came thither, yet of a strong Dutch constitution, where the wise received him, as he himself witnesseth, not as a stranger, but as one whom they had long expected. They called him by his name, and showed him other secrets out of his cloister, whereat he could not but mightily wonder. Our guest tonight is a regular listener of this podcast. He wanted to call in, but was concerned about revealing certain things that he had sworn to keep secret. So he asked one of the chiefs of his traditional Golden Dawn Temple for advice, and the chief replied, Ask BT. So let's get to that interview, shall we? Greetings, Fratter. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been great listening to uh, to the uh, episodes so far. It's uh, it's a really great uh, podcast. Don't thank you very much. Are you all caught up? Um, I think I haven't. I haven't done. I haven't finished the uh, Wiz. That, uh, that is a long one. Yeah, it's a little long. It's a little long. <laughs> uh, and I, I listened to part of it, but I didn't. I the the the, the kind of. When they're about an hour long, it's kind of perfect because um, that's how long it takes me to drive to work. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's a kind of nice chunk. But I mean, it's I, I I've liked what I've I've read so or what I've heard so far of of that one. So I'm looking forward to finishing it. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I noticed you you have a Hebrew name. I do, but that is a that's a pseudonym. Ah. That's not that's not my real name. Um, uh, I'm I'm in somewhat the same position as uh, Benabel Wen. Okay. That, uh, you know, um, just as uh, you know, an attorney, for example, might not want uh, clients and judges and and public officials knowing that they are right. uh, practicing occultists. The same thing might be true of say someone who is a teacher. Ah. Uh, and uh, even though you know my. Uh, the institution I'm affiliated with is very open-minded. Right. Um, you know, people can freak out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's uh, that's a very useful uh, pseudonym, and it means something kind of nice, you know. Nice. Um, so Baruch the, the, Ben, uh, remind me. Kadosh. Kadosh. So Baruch, blessed son of holiness. Yeah, that, that's the that's the that's the story there. So uh, beautiful. I um. It, it actually came from um, the inspiration for the pseudonym came from a. Uh, I guess it's. I, I think it must be Arabic. Um, it's a. It's a book called Hai Ibn Yaksan, which is um, means alive, son of awake, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, somewhat obscure. I mean, I guess in in sort of esoteric circles, it might be more common, but it's a kind of Sufi inspired, um, you know, enlightenment tale. And uh, it's a it's a it's a nice read, but it's uh, 
it's it, up until a few years ago, it was hard to get a an English version in print. But uh, when I was looking for a pseudonym, given my given my line of work, I, I decided to take a a little little page from the Chai Ibn Yaksan and you know have something I aspire to. You know, so Chai you know? that's Chet uh, Yod, and then what's the second word? Chai. Well, it's it's um it's it's an Arabic title. Oh, okay. And and because so similar. It's, yeah, yeah. H the way it's usually transliterated is H A Y Y. Okay. Hi, uh, Ibn I B N. Oh, right. And then I believe it's Y A Q Z A N Yakzan. Oh, so that's his name. Know. That's that's the name of the character. Okay. Ibn Tufail. I'm looking on my okay. bookcase real quick if I can see it because I'm pretty sure I brought it. Um, yeah, Ibn Tufail. Uh, T I B N T U F A Y L. Um, is, is he recent or? No, this is I believe 12th century. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm into yeah, Ibn died. Arabi. They probably were friends. Or or, or enemies. Um, ah, well, uh, they were Sufis, you know. I mean, I, yeah, you know, it's, it's maybe it's rival teachers, but uh, I yeah. doubt they were enemies. 1185 is the death date for Ibn Tufail. Okay. So. What so, region? Yeah. Um, I believe it was. Let me let me just open this real quick. I believe he was living in Persia for most of his life, okay. if I can remember. It's been a few years since I read it, but he he definitely was writing in in Arabic. Oh, you know what? I'm completely wrong. Uh, born in Granada. Okay. Um. So he was Al-Andalus, right? Yeah, Al-Andalus, sure. So yeah, so he definitely knew Ibn Arabi, or or, yeah. or they hung out in the same circles. Because Ibn Arabi's dad was the great Shi'ik in, oh, I, I don't know exactly what year, but it was near 1100. Um, so they would have at least, one of them would have heard of the other, depending on which came first. <laughs> the Sufi teacher you had mentioned, what other uh, influences uh, do you have in your background other than, than Sufism? Well, um, I, I was raised Roman Catholic, that great that great, uh, you know, birthplace of, of mystics who then go astray. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I was, I was always, you know, very much entranced by, by, you know, the kind of transcendent, the mystical, you know, things that, you know, can be, you know, only, only maybe partially put into words. Um, and, you know, I had a pretty, pedestrian i guess upbringing until i hit college or um and you know from then on you know the kabbalah was always kind of a, a background you know kind of a little bit of you know background information that was always bubbling up to the surface from time to time um you know so much so that uh you know probably for a significant portion of my college years if you ask me well what religion are you or what do you believe i would probably have said i'm a christian kabbalist um and to some extent i you know i, I think i still am really i mean if that's if, if we're gonna describe yeah. you know my background in any way um i also spent about eight years teaching at a jewish school um, and it was an Orthodox Jewish school. So we had, you know, there were Kabbalists around, you know. Um, and luckily, even though it was an Orthodox school, it was a little, it was open enough that, um, right. you know, I would, I would, I would be told about, you know, religious observances they were having or 
something that was going on and you know almost always there would be a little kind of like you know and cabalistically we believe this means some you know like i'd get asides from students who and from teachers who knew i was so inclined to kind of let me know like you know this is this is what the the kind of cabalistic implications are of that um nice and so you know when i was about to leave that school and went on to other you know other adventures um you know that's when i decided you know what this the, you know this this sort of latent cabalism you know it's just a kind of hobby has gone on long enough um we need to get kind of practical here you know i need to kind of really really explore it more forcefully and that's what ended up that's what that's what sort of prompted me to end up at the uh in the golden dawn so nice yeah it was it, it's been it's been a seemingly circuitous journey but you know the the longer it goes the more i look back and i say that you know what it's it only seems circuitous it's very it's very straightforward you know it's just a it's just a greater deepening and widening of you know what i see and what i know i mean that's that's really all it is you know it's not it's not meandering it's actually very direct yeah. if you if you really look at it the right way yeah and it, it it's it's a, it sounds like a slow and natural progression you know like you were talking about kind of going from being christian to being a christian kabbalist to being a mm-hmm. christian kabbalist immersed in a jewish environment really kind of getting some interesting you know and then to go yeah. from there to discovering hermetic kabbalah specifically one kind of made by christians for christians but incorporating paganism i mean in, i mean for them a lot of them were priests a lot of them were jesuits and they right. were you know they had a pseudonym like yourself like benabel mm-hmm. we don't really know who uh christian rosencreutz was for instance right uh, but he might have been a famous person in the church for all we know or maybe a not so famous person maybe he was just the, one of the priests, uh, but in the back, in the sacristy, when uh, when everyone had gone home, what was he doing? Well, he was doing alchemy. He was doing invocations. He was transcribing books that were, you know, maybe forbidden. Um, from their point of view, you know, their Jewish friend who was in hiding from the Inquisition, depending on what period and what, you know, mm-hmm. uh, country we're talking about, was also, you know... Uh, the, the local witch or pagan, the person practicing the ancient arts of wherever, the Gauls, the Celts, the Druids, um, were kind of equally hiding, equally blasphemous. So from the point of view of the of the of the sort of secret revolutionary Jesuit priest who's infiltrated the system in order to try to transform it from within the way that maybe uh, maybe an, an anonymous hacker works for Microsoft or Google in present day, um, you know, is just kind of, just kind of as heroic and anonymous, you know, and, and it's 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 an interesting thing. You know, eight years of Jesuit uh, school for me um, at, yeah. at earlier points in my life, you know, kind of basically. I mean, one of the things that I think you end up getting from from that group still today is that you know, you know the that order and the rules are you know all well and good and and they serve a definite purpose, but there's there's something to the transgression that sometimes gets you just as as far, if not farther, right. than you know playing by the rules. And I mean, I don't think that the the church really wants Jesuits to teach that, but I think that by implication, most of their students pick up on that. You know. Yeah that somewhat revolutionary or, or countercultural, you know, history. So, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard it speculated that the Rosicrucian Order was basically just kind of a a whispering in the dark kind of thing going on within the Jesuit Order. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised, you know, just because the, you know, I'm 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 not a Dan Brown guy by any means. Yeah, but. You know, <laughs> but but you know there is there's something an audience to it. for that for a reason i mean he's just right. he's making it yeah he's making it pulp i mean he's doing what he's doing i like that he's maybe bringing more people into questioning certain assumptions that mm-hmm. maybe before that they had no idea it's gotten to the point where you know there was a time when uh you know but when the movie was about to come out and i would go to the local burger place and see what clearly was a very well dressed i mean it, it, you could tell by the books he was reading that he was like preparing to deal with you know how his congregation or whoever it was he was dealing with uh was going to you know he he was he was reading all these conspiracy things but it, urgently he was like urgently reading all these like you know what you should know about Freemasons and what you should know about this and that, and he was—he he looked like he was kind of a religious man. It was just really amusing to watch. But um, so I mean, it, everybody was suddenly urgently having to like read Holy Blood, Holy Grail, or like at least research who who it was that did it and what the heck they were talking about and what their sources were. And so it, I, I appreciate Dan Brown for bringing things to the light, but at the same time, he basically took Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and Google, and then you know, made kind of an interesting whodunit, and um, that's it, you know. I mean, they, they, there's not much more to it. I think that it's a much more interesting question to ask, what is the Holy Grail really? What is the true lineage of Christ really? You know, these are questions that are like, whoa, like profound. You can ask the same question in the East. What does it mean to have the true lineage of Bodhidharma, you know, or whatever, you know, or of Mahakasyapa. And uh, here we could say the, the, the lineage of uh, John the Apostle or something like that. And uh, But it just, it makes it too too stupid to be like, oh, well, if you're a redhead from Scotland, you might be the great, great, great granddaughter of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and then therefore what? I don't know. The end. Credits roll, yeah. you know, like there's just it's just it falls flat like like John D and Edward Kelly's legacy, you know. Well, and and the I I think that the 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 reason why that's much more attractive than than the actual answer to the to the lineage, you know, to what does it mean, you know, like well who who possesses it and what will happen to them or what can they do, I think that the real answer is the scary one, which is that it will destroy you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, and and of course the the you know in exoteric and mundane circles, you know, we always flee from our own destruction. You know, but you know, there's something about the mystery schools. There's something about you know Freemasonry. There's something about Kabbalah that recognizes that the, that at some point, you know, in order to continue, in order to become who you really are. You will have to face your own destruction. You'll have to face your own death. And, you know, I think that that's a common aspect of all these lineages, you know, which is that the, the truth is, is that that the, the 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 lineage will bestow upon you knowledge that that the that your true being is way bigger than anything you can possibly imagine. You know, which is frightening for most people, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not something people want to embrace, you know, and, 
you know, in, in little ways and, and sometimes in big ways, but usually in, in little ways and dark corners and lodge rooms, et cetera, you know, that's, that's where that truth is communicated in the East. They seem a lot more comfortable with the idea that, you know, the obliteration of yourself is actually your, your next step, you know, and that, that you will, you will survive it. In fact, you know, your, your being will not be crushed by this knowledge, but rather you will become who you were supposed to be all along. You know, yeah, it seems hard. like we. It seems like in the West there was a bit of we inherited that sort of obsession that the pharaohs had with the afterlife and wanting to. Well, what was it they called it? The ba. They they wanted yeah. the like. It, I think that to truly embrace, like an atheist who really really thinks deep about it, who actually seeks, but is an mm-hmm. atheist, will come to kind of a deep realization of the destruction of the ba. And maybe key into some kind of uh, realization of the of the eternity of the Ka, but it's sort of like irrelevant at that point. It's sort of like saying, um, you know, when my when the cellular structure of my multicellular organism that I am turns back to dust and is eaten by worms, it will live on in those worms and in the soil. It's kind of like, so what? It's kind of like, feels like Edgar Allan Poe at that point. But that's kind of that same idea of the Ka lives on, that the spiritual essence of the actual reality of who we are lives yeah. on but we get so hung up on the ba like the 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 pharaoh wanted to have his slippers and his and his favorite cat and slaves with him and his favorite bed and hat and uh and walk around in a body and uh and people get really hung up on that and and religions get really hung up on that and yeah the it seems like when you remove that you're left with something that feels much more what we would consider Eastern, I guess. But I think, you know, I've seen it in, in Western context too. Like if you get a good Franciscan, uh, you know, like just bare walls and a, a wooden cross and then someone humbly praying, you know, it seems like they're kind of confronting the same abyss. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that same sort of, you know, progression happens, you know, with, you know, with magicians, you know, in the sense that, you know, a lot of people, you know, join orders and, and get into, you know, the esoteric and get into ceremonial magic, you know, wanting to shoot fireballs out of their fingertips yeah. or, or, you know, deal with, with, you know, like, you know, conjure an elemental or something make like money, that. Make get laid, whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that we all go through a, a period when we try to do that, you know, when we use some practice that we've learned or, or that we've been taught or that we've found, um, you know, but, but there comes a point where you realize that, you know, that, that analog to the ba, you just say like, well, yeah, I could do that, but I mean, why, you know, what's, what's the real point? This thing that I thought I really wanted, I don't really need, you know, and that it's really kind of secondary. And, you know, I think that that's, if, if anything, that's in my brief experience as a ceremonial magician, like that's, that's probably the, I think at this point, the biggest um, indicator of kind of growing enlightenment or growing sort of spiritual maturity is, is the ability to do nothing hmm. and to be okay with that, you know, and to not say like, well, I have to be able to do this yeah. or, or look at me look at what I can do, you know, and just to be okay with, with, with 
you know, being right here right now and doing really simple magic as opposed to like, you know, I'm going to do a three hour ceremony where I'm going to conjure a visible appearance. And then I'm going to, you know, I mean, that's, that has its place, but you know, that's, that's really not the point. You know, I think that's, I, I think that, you know, the, I think that that's something that a lot of people miss, you know, and I think you have to hit that at some point. Otherwise, you're going to end up doing some stupid stuff, you know, yeah. some waste of time. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Alan Watts was describing the uh, wide angle lens or like the, the, the flood, the floodlight consciousness that there's like the focused spotlight consciousness. And then there's the more floodlight consciousness that mm-hmm. where you take in everything at once. And that reminds me of the, the Tao Te Ching talking about knowing that everything is taken care of and not needing to do anything. It's kind of like a, a surrender of control, but in a way it's like a surrender of control to the higher self or, you know, and also in a way it's just a way to trick your brain into not releasing so much cortisol, you know, and being able yeah. to consciously move into an alpha state. I think that biofeedback, you'd probably realize the same thing. You'd go, Oh, if I stop being hung up on whether or not I'm going to have enough money to pay the bills, then uh, this monitor thing says I'm in a better state of mind. Maybe I should try that. And, you know, you could come to the same conclusion just through meditation too. I, d- I did a little bit of biofeedback. Oh, I'd when love I was to do a... biofeedback. I haven't. I've only read about it. I did it when I was a kid. Nice. If you can imagine that. When I was like 14 or 15, my dad somehow, through some thing at work, he – someone gave him like a, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the ones that are handheld Mm-mm. where, where it's, it looks like a mouse hmm. with just, with just two little, little pieces. It's not, it's not like, it's not like neural biofeedback, but rather like a it, uh, kind of, hmm. kind of, except it has a spot for two fingers and you can follow this brain states by the different patterns of clicking that it makes um, I don't know how good it is, you know, but it, I mean, I, you can definitely work with it a little bit and kind of, I didn't work for with it for that long, but you could definitely, you know, hear the difference as things kind of slowed down, you know, and, yeah. you know, in, in the end it's, it, it really is about slowing down, you I, know, I used to it's play about with a heart monitor down. that way. I'm sure you could do the same thing with yeah. that, you know, and and really slow down the the beats of, you know, the the heartbeat, and that that should reflect a, a changing brain state, you know. Yeah. But but you know, it's 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 about quieting down. It's about slowing down, you know. And and in the end, I think what's scary with that for people is that we we aren't affirming who we are and what we're doing all the time, you know. And that's. That's very frightening. Um, well, I think in a way, I mean, more things, at least in, you know, I mean, it's sort of, you know, there's so many th- there's so many levels on which to, to try to move things forward into the future. But I mean, on one level, I can kind of see how as more things become automated, uh, art will be more of more and more of an option for people well and it'll kind of be the only thing left eventually like um i mean in cooking will remain as an art but as far as as a necessity eh, you know the robots will do it 
um, you know, certain things will remain as an art, as an art form, as a, a vocation for people who want to do that. But there'll be much more of a, a more people doing Renaissance fairs and more people being painters and being sculptors. But but again, I think that that's I think that that's why people are drawn to the esoteric. Yeah. You know, is because the the kind of web of meaning and correspondences that occur are are unmechanically un reproducible. I mean, I can I can I can have a copy of seven seven seven, but 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 th those correspondences can only be made by a human. They don't. There's no way that those those various correspondences could ever be made by a machine. That'd be an interesting challenge for a machine. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, because, because when you think about it, I mean, the, you know, the, the, you know, the Kabbalah, the tree of life, the, the Sefer Yetzirah, I mean, those are very primitive classification systems from a certain right. point of view. They're very primitive. They're very simple, you know, and that's what, that's that's both what the human brain does well, you know, classify, find patterns, and that's also something that computers can do really well too. But there's there's a certain there's a certain point at which the 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 you know the correspondences become non-binary, you know, like you cannot say yes or no, you know, you have to say both and, and while of course a computer can say both and. Um, I don't think that that's a natural mechanical move, yeah. you know, and and I think that's the big that's the big challenge, you know, because, you know, what what a computer could do is what the is what the sort of novice does, you know, um, what what a what someone I know calls jumping to correspondences, um, you know, where, you know, you say, well, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of one. Um, eight equals water, and you know there's nothing watery about about eight, but you could say like, well, eight equals hode. Hode is associated with water. Right. Therefore, eight must equal water, and that would be something that if a computer was a Kabbalist, like that's the kind of things that the computer would end up with. But I think that we as actual human Kabbalists would say, no, that's not. That's not true. It's a figure eight, like a fish swimming in a figure eight, or it's like the uh, the 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 valence uh, electron of two oxygen uh. molecules connecting through the hydrogen. So, oh wait, is H two O? No, never mind. I have that backwards. H two O is two hydrogens and one oxygen. Right. right. Okay, never mind that last part or something. Hydroxide. Yeah. Or two. Is there oh. a O two H? Never mind. I'm just. I, I, there might be an H O two, but I. Yeah. I I've never seen it in real life, but um, Sorry. but yeah, no, I mean it's it's a good question about yeah. you know especially now that we now that we have all this technology you know where where does it take where does it take you know the esoteric tradition you know and what what of the esoteric tradition in fact is uniquely human. I mean, I think that that's a an interesting oh, yeah. question. And what if it is what if it is an actual reflection of truth? That's like when you put when you take all the different traditions in the world and you put them side by side, then the things that they all have in common are truth, and the things that are different are culture or decoration, right. perhaps, right? Or falseness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I I. I <laughs> That should be question. destroyed. <laughs> no, no, well, I'm what, just kidding. Just kidding, future. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference between falseness and decoration? Exactly. You know? I mean, I think that, 
I think that there's something to be said for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Doesn't Noah mean decoration or ornament? Oh, yeah, it, it does. Noah is decoration. That's an, it's an ornament. Um, but he wasn't destroyed. <laughs> he was the only one who <laughs> he was wasn't. saved. Yeah, he was saved. I mean, that's the that's the thing, right? Is is in, in another thing that, that this conversation prompts me to to sort of say and think is that one of the ironies about that I've discovered, you know, as I, you know, as I've done my my particular thing, is that the the those really intolerant people, which we see so much of in, in today's, you know, in the American kind of landscape, you know, these kind of frothing fundamentalists of, of you know, the atheistic stripe or or of the Christian stripe or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that I've realized as I've gotten older, you know, is just that they're – I mean, if we're talking about something that works and something that is true, once you get to the bottom of it, there really is no difference. Yeah. I mean – I mean, yes, there are particular differences, and we can't deny those. But when when you when you get right down to the bottom, you know, of the different religious traditions, the different spiritual traditions, or you know, whether they're ancient or more contemporary, where they've they've come up, I mean, there there really isn't a difference fundamentally, you know. So that yeah. things like yoga, you know, which I know you're you're exploring oh, yeah. right now more seriously, you know, I mean. I'm a I mean, big I, fan of I, it as uh, something good for humanity, for sure. It is. It's great. And, you know, I, I've known people who are very uncomfortable with it because they're Christians, right. you know. And, you know, I've spent time with, uh, you know, Shivananda yogis, you know, from the kind of Shivananda lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I look at them, I look at their lives, and I think, I don't really see how this is incompatible with Christianity at right. all. You know, and... I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound as if I'm some sort of, you know, spiritually enlightened being because I, I have a long way to go. But, you know, I just think it's so simple to see that, you know, that any any problem that you have with it is is merely the ornament. That's all yeah. the problem is. Well, I think, I think fundamentally that the, the problem in both those fundamentalist Christian circles and those fundamentalist atheist circles is really the same problem, which is a carryover from earlier times from feudal medieval times and earlier um, kind of pre Greco, you know, like um, basically that uh, our, our group think is right. And anything that contradicts it is bad. Don't sleep with anybody who doesn't subscribe to our group think. I mean, really it's, it's kind of like the old Testament, like how it all got started, you know, with those first 12 brothers. And they were like, okay, only people who are circumcised are allowed to sleep with our sister, you know, or whatever the weird thing was that started the whole thing. That that was the weird thing. That was the weird thing. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) but like that, if, if it's not first assembly of God, then it's, it's the devil. If it's not, um, you know, there, there's people that are deeply religious that out of nothing but pure devotion every day will go to a building called a coffee house and drink the same fucking beverage and talk the same <laughs> shit about the same, you know, religion uh, out of no, nothing but a desire to belong. And if you come along with something like, oh, well, you know, actually I sing in the choir at the Russian Orthodox place, then you're kind of speaking outside of their groupthink and then out of a desire not to be 
thrown out of the peer group identification, uh, passive peer group identification slash cult that they belong to at that coffee house, they won't want to participate in any kind of conversation that might acknowledge that that path is, is anything but just aberration and error in this day and age when we should all know that we should just fucking burn all the churches or whatever they think <laughs> their, their, their purpose is. I, you know, I mean, and it's the same, it's, it's, it's like the post period thing it you know my dad said you know you release the chains of slavery but you leave them on you know unconsciously so it's like you know when, when you've just changed the fundamentalism to atheism or, or thalema or whatever i mean i've seen people tur turn it to golden dawn and become golden dawn fundamentalists you know well and that's actually something that i was i was you know going to ask you about hmm. you know which is you know is this you know is just because it, you know you've been around the block a couple of times, it seems like you know in terms of uh, you know various orders. I mean, is it you know is why why do magical orders break up? And is it you know why why do they always seem to end up in schism? Yeah. And if they do, is that just a natural part of being what they are, or is there? Is that not natural, you know? I think that it's very possible that if you adhere to traditional Golden Dawn formula and take it very seriously, that it's doomed. Um, <laughs> I, I, th I think that what is required is to not take it so seriously or to make it a little bit more adaptable to the world as it is. Um... So in other words, like if you change the oath a little, I know CSS has changed the oath a little, just a little, uh, enough to make it so that, you know, you're not saying, I swear to keep secret this order, you know, like, yeah, why, so why, and then afterward you say, oh, well, we were just kidding about that part. You can tell people about the order, but don't tell them about that. You know, I mean, so you, so you change the oath so that it makes sense in modern day, because it used to be everybody swears to keep secret the order and then, oh, well, if your friends are interested, here's the website. So it's kind of like, huh? Are we traditional or are we not? You know, and right. so you, 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 some people go one way and say, well, we're going to be traditional, and then those are the ones that get a little scary because then it's just, oh, you're not allowed to tell anyone that, you know, and uh, and then the ones, the other ones are are more, you know, um, adapted to uh, to to the world as it is. And uh, CSS, you know, has has its history, and and they've all, all seen what they've seen and learned the same lessons I learned, um, and so they've got the Constitution, which I think is great. As new Golden Dawn, traditional Golden Dawn temples form, you know, from from solo practitioners that get really into it, and then eventually decide, well, I've got all the tools, why don't I initiate my buddy? And the next thing they know, they've got a thing going. Um, mm -hmm. I think it might be interesting or you know useful for those groups to take a look at the constitution and consider the wisdom of the people who spent you know 30 some odd years in grueling unfortunate situations which seemed to result from nothing other than adhering to the traditional golden dawn formula to the letter um and then you know say okay well what if what if the initiate could go in rather than being totally 
ignorant and blind about what they were, you know, they just put a hoodwink on and you don't have a clue what's about to happen. Like you go in knowing, okay, I'm going to be getting traditional Golden Dawn training. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be assigned this. This is what's going to happen. There's no surprises. It's like, you know, they, this is where the secrecy is. Don't tell the other, don't tell about the people, the names of their mem, you know, their real names, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. the, the important stuff. As the more traditional you are, the more problematic it can be. And the more, it seems like, I mean, when the order finally split apart, it's like, oh, so CSS was this Della Matatina, and OGDU was the Alpha at Omega, and then BT's the Crowley, and, you know, I mean, it's just like, wow, it's like so formulaic, you know, it, it, it just seems like it's the, the same thing every time, you know, um, and it might have to do with the hierarchy structure, and that's why I, why I, why I say people who take it seriously, because if somebody takes seriously that they're very honored frat or so-and-so, or honored frat or so-and-so, or that they have a sword and they're telling yelling at everyone to give the great sign of the neophyte when the when the ceremony's over if they don't take off the god form and they go out into the to the other room and they say you know gary bring out the plate of of deviled eggs you know like then they <laughs> they, they they don't understand that it's just a play you know that it's that it's it's something that we're all coming together to do together that requires uh, it requires chiefs and it also requires neophytes and it requires everybody in between in order for us all to have this dance. Just like in order to put on the Lion King on stage, you need background performers and you need a stage crew and you need, a, you know, so I guess that's that's what I'd say is, is I, part of it is maybe it's a good thing or I don't know whether it's a good thing or not, but do, new schools do form and new innovations do come out of it when groups split off like that um but these days there's more transparency and there's more communication between groups so i think that we might be entering into another phase in the overall evolution of the history of golden traditional golden dawn orders um where there's a lot more open discourse between traditional golden dawn orders and uh so i don't know it might be changing the group I'm part of, right? It seems extremely sane to me, right? Um, but I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm not sure if, like, I'm seeing it clearly sometimes. You know, right. I think I am. What state are you in? Illinois. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, those guys are solid. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they seem not crazy, yeah. you know? And, and you know, there, there, there have been moments when, you know, you know, people have said like, oh, well, you know, it was kind of fun to be part of a cult, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's probably Ua. <laughs> you, you know, you, you hear what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. you know, and I'm like, well, are we, are we going to, are we going to become a cult? I mean, is, is this already a cult? I mean, it doesn't feel like a cult, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, you know, there's certain, there's certainly, you know, expectations of things. Well, there's no charismatic yeah. leader. I mean, not to say they're not charismatic, but. You know, they, they, they're all just buddies at this point. There's no, no, none of them is the leader, you know. No, no. I mean, you know, I, the, I think you're absolutely right. You know, as, as somebody who kind of, you know, came in, you know, shortly, shortly, I guess, a year and a half after stuff went down, you know, um, you know, it, it all seemed very, you know, very, very harmonious. And you're right. Like there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't the, the guy. You know. Yeah. No. You, you. But you guys, the senior most adept that that you guys have though is is, I I love that guy very much, and he he is a born leader. He's a trained leader, trained by the U.S. freaking Marines. He's an inspiration to me, and I do my rituals imitating him every time I do my rituals, 
And I love that guy. And so it's like, you know, if he wanted to, he probably could have been like, well, it's only right that I should be the new chief adept and everyone would have let him have it. But because he's such such a believer in the spirit of Americanism, he yeah. said, we should have elections. We should have a democracy. You know, again, I think that a lot of the times, you know, people who are into you know, these kinds of organizations, whether it's like the Freemasons or, you know, things that are more esoteric is that if, if, if that part of the oath, whatever version it is that, you know, you have, or whatever the commitment is where you're supposed to treat each other like children of the same father Mm. and of the same mother. Some people mean that that means I'm going to tear, tear his hair out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I guess that could trigger some, some nasty stuff from back in the day. people but you know i mean like that's that's actually one of the things that i noted the most and you know i I feel like that's something that you know whether whether you're getting involved in the oto or you're getting involved in in any kind of organization that makes the kinds of claims on an individual you know as as you know a golden dawn order does or the oto or fill in the blank is that you know if if joining this group seems to give people license to just abuse each other mm. i mean you're you're probably not in the right place yeah. you know uh you, you know you probably need to go to the funny farm or something or just <laughs> talk to somebody because you know that's just not that's just not the way it goes yeah. you know and and also that that kind of clinging you know towards the old you know like oh well we, you know got to go down with the ship you, we can't we can't change this you know right. this this can't this can't move you know i'm I have to admit that's one of the things that that you know, as I've been in the order for a few years, you know, it's something that I that I think about sometimes when I have a little bit of distance, and I think you know, uh, if if we were presented with something that would change the order fundamentally, would we would we embrace it, you know, and should we embrace it, or should we, you know, hold firm? And I don't know what I would have answered a couple of years ago, but now I guess I would definitely say no. <laughs> it should be embraced. If there's a problem, deal with it. You know, I mean, but you know, it's a it's an interesting. It's a question I wanted to hear your answer oh, to. Yeah. You know, which is, you know, what, like, is it natural? You know, for 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 an order to schism. You know, but the the answer that I'm getting from you is that yes. you know, yes, um, but that doesn't mean that you can't schism well yeah well like i've said you know sometimes it's a sometimes sometimes it needs to happen i mean if you've got a real a-hole at the top then you need for all the adepts to band together and and schism you know but if you've got like someone with a heart of gold at the top who just doesn't want to you know, sell out or whatever it is everybody's rallying that he should do, and then they're all going to band together and screw him over, then schism is bad. But, you know, I mean, it's it, 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 in, a, in a culty order, schism is a word that'll give you chills. You know, when you hear mm-hmm. about the adepts who schismed, you go like, oh, the darkened ones, the ones who we're not allowed to speak to or, or talk about or look at or even, you know, have pictures of, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you find some, you find that kind of stuff going on in voodoo in, um, you know, at least in, in South America where in certain uh, lodges where when if somebody breaks one of the rules or looks at the cult leader funny, then they burn the picture of them and then the congregation isn't allowed to look at them anymore. And then one of the other things that our order had in common with voodoo is the, you know, putting on of masks and then channeling the ones who would tell you what you were supposed to do as an order. But anyway, that's a whole other story. 
Yeah, I, I have to admit there was there was one incident where there was a mask involved, um, and I, <laughs> I remember looking around and I was you know here I was in the middle of an initiation. I was like, "Are you serious? Is this really what's going to oh, happen?" Oh, I love that. I mean, yeah, I mean it. It, <laughs> it was. I mean, it was much cooler than than it than I, my my fear was unfounded. But there was a moment where I was like, "What? What? <laughs> what's going to happen now?" You know, but that's that's way different than you know, using a mask to channel ch- channel some kind of, you know, yeah. supposed force that you know is not really a force, but it's just you know some kind of schizophrenia. I some, don't know. Or maybe kind of maybe, maybe people get ridden. I think um, I think at a young age, I like uh, threw off the idea of being possessed because I didn't want to be possessed. And so my dad was Christian scientist. So one of the things that I learned was that if you disbelieve something strongly enough, then it ceases to be, you know, basically like if you unbelieve it, then it won't happen. So I unbelieved possession by demons so that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it it kind of goes back to that, you know, Lon Milo Duquette line, you know, of, you know, it's all in your head, but you have no idea how big your head is, you know, and you know, that's, that's that's truer than anybody really gives it credit for being hmm. you know i mean i mean that's that's why people some some people just seem straight up batshit crazy sometimes is that you know you look at them and you're like you really believe this yeah. like you like it's in your head and it's it's real now yeah. <laughs> you know there's no doubting it it's real it's real hmm. so yeah it's it's a strange world we live in. I don't, I don't know where this conversation is going, but it's, it's very weird. Uh, yeah, it's improvised at this point. Yeah, oh, it's but... totally improvised. Well, because I'm not an expert on anything. I just said I'm going to call in. Yeah, I know. Right on. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, I think that the the you know I think that the problem that we're kind of circling and in some ways this is what the whole maybe what the whole conversation is about is that you know we're we're really if 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 we think that we're getting beyond dualism but we're really just slaves to our own expectations like we we haven't gone anywhere at all Hmm. you know what i mean you know the the whole cult thing and you know the you know all these are kind of of a of a piece and the idea is that you know you know like if you've ever done you know zen meditation you know it's if 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 you have if you're married to certain expectations going in, I mean you're you're screwed. Yeah. Like like you're you're not going to get anywhere. In fact, you're probably going to do damage to yourself. You know, just like if you if you go into an order or you found an order expecting you know to become, I don't know, Archon Basileus of something. Like you know you're 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 you're, you're going to get screwed eventually. Yeah. You know, not in a good way. It seems to me like um, learning. Like, I don't want to say the proper because just saying that has so much negativity in it. But I think that a very good way to approach Golden Dawn practice is as, you know, one who is learning the formal practice of British ceremonial magic. And, you know, like as if you were going to learn Kung Fu. You know, like you go to a school where there's someone who who teaches Kung Fu and you learn it and then you say thank you. I think that where um, 
where I came from, you know, the order as it was, like when you got through all the grades, as it were, when you got into the inner order, then you were expected to build temples, you were expected to teach classes, you were expected to be online every Tuesday, you were expected this, you were expected that. If you're a field adept, this, you're, if you're a local adept, this. <clears throat> That's where it went wrong, because you can only really tolerate that for you know, 10 years or so before you go nuts, <laughs> you know? I mean, even in the best of, of circumstances. And so I think that Chick Cicero's order, you know, when you get all the way through, which there's no real pressure to do, uh, you get all the way through, and then it's like, hey, on Corpus Christi, we're all going to get together if you're available. And you don't even have to really write a note saying oh, I'm not going to make it this year. But, you know, I mean, technically, you know, in the original Fama Fraternitatis, you were supposed to write a note saying why you couldn't make it. And so people generally do just to be polite. But it's not like, when are you going to be here? Why aren't you going to be here? You know, oh, well, we all need to pitch in to get you a plane ticket because you can't afford to be here. Oh, well, your family's crying. Well, tell them God comes first. Like, that was where we were really going wrong. And, yeah, um, that's... I've I've heard some rumblings about that yeah. being sort of the way it was, and that's like that's that's impossible. It's just an impossible expectation. It's impossible to know? maintain for any period of time, yeah, without losing people in a really sour way that is harmful to people's psyche. And um, yeah, so I mean, I it's. It did what it did. It accomplished what it accomplished. And, uh, you know, it's like Genghis Khan, you know, they say did some good. Um, you know what <laughs> I mean? Mussolini. Yeah. yeah. Thing, you know? <laughs> Stuff came out of it, you know, that like, I, I don't know if you listen to Dan Carlin's podcast, but he was talking about in college, he did a report about all the good Genghis Khan did. And he turned it into his Chinese uh, professor oh my God. who gave him an F. Because he, yeah. he neglected to mention all of the pain and suffering that was caused by Genghis Khan. And um, so, you know, you can't really sing the praises of the EOGD too much. Um, especially while the website's still up there and connected to that fucking guy. So, um, so yeah, so I don't really mention the name of the organization yeah. or the person because I don't want to inadvertently send him any web traffic. Yeah, um, that's, that's probably best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, 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 I love all those guys in Chicago. I, um, I think, okay, like there's, it, we were talking about these dual, dualistic terms, you know, good and evil, God and the devil. Is it a cult or is it, what's the opposite of that? Sanity? What's sanity? You go to school and you agree with everyone except for the religious nuts. I don't, you know, like what? what? Yeah. And, uh, so, so it's an organization you know, it's based on this older organization. At this point, we lost our Skype connection, and we continued it later uh, on a regular phone. Yeah, sort of what are the common threads of initiation or about being in a group of initiates? You know, like what, you know, what, what do they all have in common? You know, since, you know, I sort of started talking a little bit about you know, influences, and, and, and we ended up talking about things like yoga, and yeah. I feel that it's kind of, it kind of was, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know if that's your perspective, but it seemed to be about what are the, the common threads of the kind of spiritual path, like what, what do they have in common, and how are they, you know, really just the same path, I mean, I don't know what you, what you got from it. Yeah, I mean, definitely, they all are similar. I mean, there's different things you'll get out of 
Um, like if you if you practice yoga regularly, for instance, you know you you might not have as many correspondences bouncing around in your head, and you might feel physically fit. Where if you sit at like a Dutch style, you know, wooden four-legged chair with the back on it, um, and sit at a table uh, reading a book or in old times transcribing books over and over, then you might end up with a whole lot of knowledge in your head and the ability to translate from one language to another, but you might end up, you know, kind of hunchback and, uh, and really not feeling good physically. So in my perfect world, uh, if I were to envision an order, um, you know, as, as I would like to see it, it would include both in a way that... Um, you know, like, I, I know that these days it's becoming more and more popular for people to have, like, a standing unit at the office, you know, where, like, a, the human scale thing where the, it's like the arm that holds your monitor and you can lift it up and, and stand for part of the day and sit for part of the day. Um, so I guess, I mean, my biggest complaint about the Golden Dawn system is that the only physical exercise that it includes is asymmetrical and um, and it doesn't really think much about the body at all it's really focused more on the symbol symbols that you're drawing so if you're using a big heavy sword to draw those symbols then you're screwing up your your shoulder and you're getting an, a, an uneven workout and so those are things that I would like I mean as a lover of the traditional Golden Dawn system in Victorian England of course I I, I I think that there is some good, even if it's just, you know, a novelty kind of level of good, and maybe this is where I disagree with some people who take it very seriously, but um, in, in knowing exactly how to do it step-by-step -step Victorian style, but I also, in my own work, I try to put the sword in my left hand sometimes, you know, and I don't I don't think strictly in terms of uh, of the, the the microcosmic man uh, the mirror of the, the mirror of the universe where they put Hesed on your left arm and Geburah on your right arm which means your right arm is always Geburah and your left arm is always Hesed which is as absurd as saying that your right arm is always testosterone and cortisol and your left arm is always you know, estrogen and, uh, and oxytocin. And it's not, because obviously all of these things flow through the whole body. And so, I mean, they're useful as symbols and ideas, I think. But I think people go astray when they take it too far and the correspondences kind of take over the body and the physical aspect. And I, I think that yoga, to me, it, it strikes me as, as superior in that it really is grounded in the body and in the breast and in kind of the real, and, um, and then the, the things beyond that, you know, I'd, I'd like to see people uh, do enough hatha yoga that they can sit in perfect meditation and, and achieve that stillness before they start path working, you know, but that's, that's just yeah. my point of view. So, but, you know, I, I think that there's, a, there's a, a bit of a natural end, you know, for that, um, you know, even within the system, and one of the, you know, one of the things that we've already mentioned is, you know, this idea that, that, you know, it will break down and become stale unless it can change, you know, that to some extent the traditional Golden Dawn system is always doomed. It's always doomed, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and if we take that seriously, you know, 
you know, not, not that I'm like the golden child or something, but one thing that happened to me right when I was, uh, right around the same time I was about to get my Zelator initiation mm-hmm. or my advancement was that I started yoga. And it wasn't an intentional mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't an intentional thing. But, you know, I, I remember getting a ride to the temple, you know, with, with an adept who, who picked me up at the train, you know, and I said, man, my yoga is rocking my ass right now, you know, like it is so good. You know, and one of the things he said is, looked over me, you know, I, I always have my students pick up some form of physical discipline, you know, during Zelator. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, that sounds pretty natural to me. I mean, if you're dealing with earth, but you should, you should have that kind of relationship with your body at that point, if you haven't had it already. Yeah. You know, and so, and so, I mean, I agree. I think that there's a kind of cerebralness, a kind of linearity to the, to the order, um, you know, a certain sort of asymmetry, you know, um, that, that, that actually, you know, the, the answer is, is in the system already to some extent, you know, where, where you could see the opening. But I agree with you. I, the, you know, the, the, the physical, you know, has to be part of the path. You know, otherwise you end up doing all kinds of goofy stuff and, and you know, really can harm yourself ultimately. Yeah. You know, because if it's not the whole person, then, you know, what's, what's the point on some level, you know, after a certain... But I know for point. some people, you know, maybe maybe they drive to work and then they sit at their desk while they're at work. And then when they come home, they sit at the dinner table and then they sit on the couch. And then the only exercise they really get is when they're standing up and doing some banishings, you know, and um, and getting some breath work in, getting some middle pillar, you know, work in. And so that's good. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't tell them, Oh, your, your little exercise that you do isn't, isn't good enough, you know, I think that that's great for them at that point, but I think that um, also after a month or two of that practice, maybe step it up a bit, you know, <laughs> that's what I'd say, you know, maybe maybe stand up uh, for, for 10 minutes an hour at work and try to get the HR department to give you one of those standing units. That's a huge step. I mean, it sounds like people people sometimes will ask me, oh, well, what's the best thing I could do? And and I'll say something like that, like, um, you know, try to stand at work because it really affects everything else. It, you know, once you have that foundation of feeling all right, you know, someone says, hey, can someone help with this? And you say yes, just because you have extra energy you want to do something with, you know, not not no, you don't stay quiet and hope somebody else will take care of it because you're stuck to the couch. And um, so, yeah, those are those are all important Zelator things. And we learn a lot in Zelator about the material world. But, yeah, it's good to integrate some actual physicality into it. And, and another thing which is kind of related to, to that is, is the way in which it seems, and I don't know what your experience is, but I've, I've talked to a few people with, with much greater experience within the order. You know, there, there's a certain amount of not just synchronicity um, with when you advance, but also, it, it, it feels a lot of the time as if there are things in motion, even pre-advancement. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I, I certainly don't think we're going to get any, any, any answers right now. But, but I, I think that that's something that it's certainly not explicit in the grade materials. 
you know, um, or, or in any writings that I've ever really seen, you know, whether it's Regardi or you know, I may have missed something. But, you know, I think there's something to be said that, you know, yes, the advancement is important. And yes, you know, there are advances that, you know, reduce some people to tears, you know, and, and they're very powerful and important. But I think that listening before you advance or you, you know, encounter a certain thing is just as important as, as the kind of, you know, you know, post initiation path working or, or kind of thinking about something after the fact, you know, the idea that, that those, that that initiation is at work before you, you go through the pillars or you go through any other thing. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's something that many, you know, with, with a lot of people who are on the path of initiation can kind of look forward to, you know, oh, on the seventh, this is what's going to happen. Right. You know, as opposed to thinking, well, right now, something actually is happening, you know, and, and, you know, had I not been walking past that, you know, uh, you know, yoga center, you know, day after day and thinking, you know what, my back fucking hurts. Yeah. And, and, and I need to do something, you know, and, and I used to run, but I don't have time to run, you know, and, and I'm stiff. I need to do something. You know, yeah. that was that, that zone energy at work already, yeah. you know, and, and it, it's a kind of awareness that I think when, when one is a ceremonial magician or when one is walking that particular part of the path, you know, it, it, it becomes all about when I, you know, put on my red socks and robe up. But there's also something to be said to just thinking about, well, what, what is happening right now, even before any ceremony happens? Yeah. You know? Well, one thing that comes to mind is they wouldn't have known this in Victorian England, but now we know that there's a subatomic particles that are actually moving backwards in time. So we know right. physically that there are literally particles who knew you, from their point of view, it's the past tense, they knew you after you had already been practicing yoga for 10 years. And so we have direct physical contact with these things that are moving back in time. Now, there's no reason to believe offhand that that has anything to do with thoughts that pop into our head. But at the same time, there's nothing to tell us that it doesn't. I mean, they're they're starting to you know, look into the idea of memories being carried in the, in the DNA in ways that we weren't uh, looking at before. I don't know the, all the details on that, but, I mean, it doesn't surprise me too much. Um, so, I mean, there's that idea. The other thought is that it seems, well, you know, I mean, there's, there's the things that are unique about a system that are culture and the things that are universal about a system that are truths. Maybe that's not entirely true. I just like to, you know, just divide it that way just for the sake of the conversation. Um, and so, so one of the things that feels like truth to me is the order in which we approach the, the grades in a very abstract sense where you get your basic overall centering and you're like meet and greet. These are the members. You know, this is what we're doing. This is how to do it. This is the temple. And that's neophyte. And then you kind of have an understanding going in that the first thing you're going to want to work on in that second grade is the material. And that's explained to you, the, you know, your home, your finances, your body, your health, the real basic stuff. 
And then you want to get that mastered to a certain degree before you start to float up into the astral plane and focus on the mental plane. And that, to me, so far, that all just makes perfect sense, even though it's particularly the grade structure of the Golden Dawn tradition and other esoteric traditions uh, from that period and earlier. Um, then after that, of course, we move into the more emotional realms, and then once we've you know, achieved some kind of mastery there, then we can move into our passions. But we don't really want to go straight into our passions. We don't say, welcome to the order. Now go, you know, like invoke the fire and just, you know, because we don't really know where people are coming from right on the first day. You know, they, they, so, so we kind of want to like start with some basics and then start with grounding and then start with, you know, the mental realm and stuff like that. And then from... You know, I mean, it's unfortunate that when you're in a position of, of running an order, sometimes you end up with people who are incompatible at a certain point, and they, they're clinging to ideas that just cannot <sighs> jive with the, the work, that it would just be harmful to try to force them to go through the work. Um, and then, you know, you kind of have to part as friends as best you can. Or you know, remain friends, and uh, you know, n maybe say, okay, this this work isn't for you, and um, you know, that's a real rough thing that comes up in any group. And when a when a new group is starting out, maybe that's something they don't realize is going to come up one day. But you know, there's we were talking about groups and 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 how whether or not it's a cult and stuff like that. And some people will feel that it's a cult if they got thrown out. You know, <laughs> so. Right. Um, I'd say that one, you know, one thing is if there's if you're free to associate with ex members, that's a really good sign. That's a really good sign because I, I think that the more of a cult, something in a negative sense, something is, the more emphasis there's going to be put on don't talk to so and so who left. So that's 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 one thing. Another thing on the on the question of like the the, the me who's done yoga for ten years, etc. You know, I, I I have to admit that one thing that I think probably gets some people, um, and I'm and I'm not the best scryer in the world, so take take that in mind. But you know, one of the things that that gets to me is that you know what is happening when we scry, you know, and you know, for example, you know our our mottos are scribed for us. At least they are now. I don't think mm -hmm. they always were. But, uh, you know, they're scribed for us. And I don't even know the exact process. Right. But I know that that's the way it, that's the way it works. You know, and I think that whether, whether you're, you know, scrying one thing or another or, or having that impulse of saying, like, hey, you know, maybe I should pick up this practice. You know, it, it very well could be the, you know, the future you, yeah. you know, staring right back out at you. You know, maybe it's through particles that travel back in time. Maybe it's neutrinos, tachyons. I don't know. You yeah, know, just, but I think or just that, the astral plane or, you know, it's like, uh, other things from beyond. Like, they say the astral plane isn't bound to our rules of time, so. Yeah, that, that you know, that, that kind of, you know, that, that kind of corrective energy, for lack of a better term that I can't think of right now, um, you know, might be the kind of thing that spurs things to divide also, you know, a kind of, a kind of futurity that is trying to prevent something worse from happening. Yeah. You know, and so, That's you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question because we, we spend a lot of time looking into, uh, you know, holes that we can't see the bottom of, um, you know, in order to 
to scribe, to, to, to enter into our subconscious. You know, but I wonder if sometimes our subconscious really intrudes, you know, in ways that will force things apart, which on our kind of conscious level, we say, oh, man, that sucks, or that's bad. But right. in reality, what it's doing is it's preventing something that would have been far worse. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, of course, the term subconscious, it, it seems to refer to uh, two things. I mean, I, I think it's already generally considered to be an arcane term. Um, but, I mean, basically, we have our um, our programming. We have our... Uh, our, our automatic responses in the amygdala. We have our emotional uh, buttons and we have our, our things like that um, that operate whether we're paying attention to it or not. So whether or not we realize that someone's tone of voice reminded us of our dad or not, we got mad, you know? And, uh, and, and then later maybe we can look at it and go, oh, I see, there was a button there. Um, but then that's kind of usually what people are talking about when they say subconscious. But then in magical circles, sometimes when we say subconscious, we mean our higher self uh, or the neshama. We're talking about you shuffle the deck because subconsciously you know where all the cards are. So it's kind of an interesting um, place where those terms cross over, and it's, and it's kind of, I, I think, a little bit revealing. And I think I would point to the moon card for, for an answer to that. Um, in theory, we, when, when you're working with scrying in the grades, you're kind of practicing. So you, in practicus, you practice with scrying, and you have to write some reports, that, you know, in, in the order you and I are from. Other orders may not do that. But um, so then there comes a time in philosophers where we're supposed to start pathworking those three paths, and one of them is kof. And Kof is kind of the place where our own bullshit ends up. And so, in theory, if someone is scrying and they cannot distinguish between their own bullshit, as I, yeah, and I say bullshit lovingly. I mean, I have bullshit just as much as anyone. Um, if they can't distinguish between their own microcosmic, say, junk they picked up in the filter over time um, and the world outside on the macrocosm, then maybe the scrying session isn't going to be quite as clear. And um, that's not to say that it's not great poetry. It just might not be a reliable prophetic message about the real world. And um, so that's kind of the question of the book of the law is, is it poetry? <laughs> you know, um, I've never read it all the way through, but uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, I guess the point is once once you've processed your own stuff to such a degree that you can recognize when it's your own stuff, and then you can kind of look beyond that and refocus your vision toward the horizon, and then you're then you're looking into a showstone or you're looking into a black mirror. I think that's the point where you can kind of get beyond maybe the subconscious and the sense of automatic triggers or uh, the, the, the dream archetypes of our own mind trying to work out our own personal issues of the day. If we can kind of like get through that process, that do all that, process our own issues, of course, first, and then, then kind of start to see through to the other side and really key into who this archangel is that we're talking to or who this spirit is and what they're saying. 
and um, that kind of thing. Once you're once you're beyond all your own engrams, or you've, you're master of your own mind, master of your own uh, sphere of sensation, then you can be a good scryer. But basically, not until. Although I think that yeah. some people are able to set aside their own issues and key into someone else's, like maybe someone with a lot of psychological issues could still be a really good tarot reader um, because yeah. they're good at looking into someone else's life. Maybe they're not as good as looking at, at, at looking at their own. Yeah, I, um, I, I have to admit that the big, the big challenge for, for me in my work in terms of the technical aspects, you know, has been the, the question of scrying and, and again, you know, it's it's a bit synchronous because, uh, you know, in my own work, I'm about to to shift over into the the path of Kuf, uh a bit, you know, into into some of the things that I was going to be sort of working on next. Yeah. You know, after having, you know, kind of let things settle in, uh, having worked a little bit in the uh, in the kind of Aquarius field, as mm. it were, which is yeah. where, which is where I sort of started. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I, I like that too. When I was in Philosophist, I, I was mostly focused on uh, the star card. Yeah. But then my house yeah, burned and down, and some people said that was because I didn't pathwork the tower card enough. <laughs> uh, well, I, 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 I won't. It's scary to I'm not going to neglect it. So. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. It was really yeah. nice meeting you, and glad to know that people over there in Chicago are enjoying the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can chat again, and uh, and you know, all the all the best with uh, with the old podcast. So. Absolutely, thank you very much. Thank you. Absolutely, we'll talk soon. All right, talk to you then. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you, brother Baruch Ben Kadosh for being on the Esoteric Podcast today. Who composed the theme to Zelda? Koji Kondo. Thank you, Koji Kondo, for providing the soundtrack to the Fama Fraternitatis. Thank you to Camille and Kennery for providing the Game of Thrones harp transitions in the out of all the interviews. I also want to give a shout-out to Kevin from Philadelphia, wrote me an email. Kevin has been delving into the works of John Michael Greer, Paul Foster Case, and others, and is in the middle of his 200-hour yoga teacher training, the same training I had last year from January to April. So as a fellow Western esotericist who is actively taking on the path of the yogi as well, he's been enjoying the podcast from over there in Philadelphia. It's great news. He's also been introducing me to higher-ups in the spiritual tradition of the yoga lineage of Jiva Mukti, for a future episode of the of the sister podcast, what I like to call the Other Esoteric Nerd Podcast, which is called To Be a Yogi. So check that out on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks again, Kevin. I'm glad we're in touch. Tomorrow I'll be interviewing my old friend Jonah regarding Mormonism from the point of view of a Golden Dawn practitioner. Until then, Yivarekha Adonai V'yishmerecha Ayer Radonai, Panav Alecha, Vi Yihunika, Yisa Adonai, Panav Alecha, Vyasem Lecha Shalom. Live long and prosper.